Good morning, church. And also, happy birthday. So today is Pentecost Sunday. And at Pentecost, of course, we celebrate the birth of the Christian church. From the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he drew to himself faithful Jewish men and women. But when the Holy Spirit fell upon them at Pentecost, they became the church. So today's story is their story, and today's story is our story too. Now, one of the valuable things about birthdays and other anniversaries is that they can serve as sort of touchstones or landmarks in our lives. Our lives progress in a linear fashion with the years sort of stacking up one atop the other. But the dates of the calendar year circle around, around and around, and we are always returning to the same dates again and again. So we can then use these dates, these annual markers, to note changes of all kinds. Some of you may have grown up in households where as a kid you had your height marked on the doorframe every year at the same time. So this is actually the 10th year that Emmanuel Anglican Church has celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. So this coming fall, we will have 10 little marks on the doorframe. The years circle by as we go, each year bringing some changes. Now in that time, in the 10 years, the gospel story has not changed. But the ways in which we live the gospel and especially the context into which we proclaim the gospel, are incredibly dynamic. Not only has our church body changed over the past decade, our city and our nation and our world has gone on changing every year as well. Emmanuel opened for public worship in fall of 2013. And less than two years later, in June 2015, the legal definition of marriage in the United States changed, marking a dramatic shift in how men and women understand themselves and the purposes for which their bodies were created. Shortly after that, our country underwent another sea change following the November 2016 presidential election. Political identities became entrenched and calcified, often at the expense of family bonds and faith commitments. And another change, which is a little bit mind-blowing to think about, but nearly one-third of Emmanuel's lifespan has been lived out in the shadow of the COVID-19 global pandemic, almost a third of our lives. That is a lot of big changes in 10 years. On the other side of those years, our culture, our city, no one relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ in quite the exact same way as before. Things have changed. So this raises the question, have you changed over the past 10 years? Has your relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ changed over the last 10 years? I hope so. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't change year over year, but the gospel of Jesus Christ working in us does change us, transform us, sanctify us year over year. Every year we spend under the influence of the Holy Spirit has the potential to deepen our faith in him, clarify gospel truth for us, 
and deepen our love for the Lord and for others. And as the years roll by, is the power and beauty of the gospel that we, the church, was born to tell, is that becoming brighter and clearer and more vital to us? Because the more the world changes, the more it stays the same. Some people will tell you that humanity is evolving and progressing all the time, that we become more enlightened creatures just by virtue of moving through time. Other people feel that humanity's best days are now in the past and everything is going to hell in a handbasket now. But scripture affirms neither one of these perspectives on change. In today's reading in the second chapter of Acts, as Peter interprets the strange signs and wonders wrought by the Holy Spirit, he quotes the prophet Joel in verse 17. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirits on all flesh. The disciples at Pentecost and we ourselves and all of humanity, in fact, then and now, occupy the last days this final era of human history. The church occupies the season of time after the saving work of Jesus Christ was completed and he ascended to the Father in heaven and before his second coming, the day of the Lord, the great and magnificent day, as the prophet Joel puts it. Until the Lord comes again in person to reign in glory over the new heavens and the new earth, this final stage in history is about one thing. This is the season for the church to proclaim the gospel of the Lord. Earthly kingdoms will continue to rise and to fall. Ideologies will ebb and flow, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But nothing about human nature will change. Nothing about our human condition will change. And praise the Lord, Nothing is now needed to complete the Lord's plan for salvation. The Lord tarries for one reason and one reason only, that his bride, the church, filled with his intense love and his Holy Spirit, might tell the whole world of his mighty deeds so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord might be saved. Now, in many ways, life is different than it was 10 short years ago. But the beautiful, broken, beloved world around us needs the gospel story no more and no less than it did 2,000 years ago. Our neighbors in Chicago need to hear this story every bit as much as the people of Jerusalem did then. And what a story it is. This gospel story is evergreen. There are three facets of proclaiming the gospel that are just as relevant and real today as they were at the birth of the church that we're reading about. The gospel is a story that is rooted in heaven, but told from the margins. The gospel is a story voiced by humans and translated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is a story that includes all and a story that can be highly divisive. First, the gospel is a story that starts in heaven 
and is empowered by heaven, but it is also a story that is told from the margins and for those in the margins. The gospel story was God's idea. As sin entered the hearts of human beings and swept us away from the God who loves us, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together conceived of, initiated, and then completed the plan to redeem us and bring us back. We could never have closed that gap from our end of things, but Jesus Christ left heaven to come down to us. Salvation and every good thing originates in the heart of God in heaven. But at the same time, this almighty God chose to begin and end his gospel mission on earth at the margins. Jesus, son of God, arrived into this dark and dangerous world as helpless and dependent as any other human being. He was born into a very modest family, living in a backwater town in kind of a loser nation. He died a glory and undignified death outside the city walls as a criminal, abandoned by all but a handful of people. And the disciples at Pentecost were understood to be of little account also. Their numbers were small, about 120 men and women. And having associated with Jesus, they were viewed with suspicion. In today's text, they are identified as Galileans with a reputation for being undereducated yokels. Their political situation was weak. Their reputation was kind of garbagey, and they had no social capital. Even those who witnessed the miracle of Pentecost disparaged them because of the miracle. Here's what happened, starting at verse 4. And they, the disciples, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each one of us, in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, etc., etc., we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. So this group of people, are at peak spiritual power, filled with the very wind and the fire of heaven, and yet they are still speaking from the margins of society. There's this subtle put down, whatever sophisticated man or woman of the world looks like, these Galileans don't meet that criteria. The crowd around them is literally witnessing a miracle, and they're still mocking the disciples and coming up with offensive and unreasonable explanations for what's happening. And as we continue to read through the book of Acts, these early Christians incur more and more disapproval, disapproval that quickly escalates into violence. From earliest days, the church preached 
faith in Jesus, this message from heaven, they preached it from the margins. And here and now, as public regard for the Christian faith slides into decline in our own little corner of the globe, we really want to attend to this aspect of our history. We may experience the shifts in how we're perceived as Christians. We may feel like that is sad or uncomfortable or unsettling, and that's okay. Those are normal feelings. But please don't miss the fact that whole new worlds of opportunity are opening up for the gospel as we move toward the margins. Some brothers and sisters here today have always had to preach the gospel from the margins of society because in one way or another, that's where they live. Perhaps your economic class or your race or limitations to health and mobility have marked you as someone who falls outside of the preferred majority culture, both in society at large and also here at Emmanuel. Speaking from the margins is not new to you. You have always shared solidarity with the first disciples in this way. But for people who look like me and are from a similar middle-class background to mine, well, this might be a new experience for us. We may have grown accustomed to being the center of society and enjoying its approval. Economically, racially, socially, culturally, the Lord, the, the world at large is pleased with us and designed for us. We enjoy being well thought of, and we have certain expectations of how we will be received and how people will respond to us. For us, our association with the gospel may be the only thing that threatens our social standing. Some of us are finding ourselves on the receiving end of widespread disapproval for the very first time. This can be really uncomfortable. But insofar as our discomfort stems from having looked to the world for approval or security or for hope of success, we now have opportunity to set our hopes on the risen Lord instead. This is a very good thing. Jesus enacted the gospel story from the margins of society with unparalleled power. The, the disciples gathered at Pentecost shared the gospel story in a context of violent disapprobation. They did so boldly at great personal cost, and they bore great fruit. Standing with Jesus and with the church, we have nothing to be afraid of and everything to hope for. But we will have to start having less confidence in ourselves and more confidence in the merits of the gospel itself. Less confidence in our persuasiveness and winsomeness and more confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk more about the role of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left the earth, he entrusted the gospel message entirely to ordinary people like we are. The gospel is meant to be voiced by humans, but then translated, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Looking again at verse 1. 
when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. God made his presence known first through the sound of a mighty rushing wind and through visible tongues of flame when the disciples were sitting inside a house, almost certainly a private setting. But scholars agree that somewhere between verses 3 and 4, the disciples relocated to the temple. This would be the logical place for all those Jewish pilgrims to gather. Verse 4 is when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. To those who already believed in Jesus, God gave miraculous signs of his presence that were elemental supernatural wind, supernatural fire. But for those who did not yet believe, God made his power and presence known through the voices of plain old ordinary people. And what were those human voices talking about? Verse 11 says they were telling of the mighty works of God. I think that's so interesting. It doesn't explain whether they were just praising the Lord and extolling his mighty works to one another, and people happened to hear, or if they were turning outward to proclaim the mighty works of God, maybe it's kind of one and the same thing. Like worship and mission are kind of one and the same thing. So on the one hand, nothing could be simpler. Anyone who has any experience of God's presence in their life at all, and who has the capacity to form words, is equipped to do what, the God, what God has called the church to do in this way. On the other hand, even our best and most eloquent words will be impotent for salvation unless the Holy Spirit serves as our translator. Jewish people came to Jerusalem from all over the known world to observe Pentecost. It was one of three annual feasts for which they made pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Most everyone did speak a common language. Uh, that's how they were able to worship together in the temple and get around in society. Technically, there was no need for this miracle at Pentecost then, right? The disciples of Jesus could have told the mighty works of God in the common language of the marketplace and of worship in Jerusalem, and pretty much everyone there would have known exactly what they were saying without any problem. But God chose to empower his church to speak in languages that they had never learned. These were real languages known to ordinary human people, but they had never learned them. And this is so that thousands of Jews could hear about Jesus in their own heart language. This is the language that their mother spoke, the language that they dream in, the language that reaches to their souls. And so each one of these precious men and women and children, as they heard the gospel story in their own language, they could now say, ah, I see this Jesus sent from God this Jesus was sent from God to live and die for me. The gospel story is not only for these guys, the Greek speakers or Hebrew speakers of Jerusalem, 
The gospel story is my story also. This is my God speaking. So I may struggle to see why, for example, someone very different from me, like an octogenarian millionaire living in the Gold Coast, why would they want to talk to me? Or why a 14-year-old boy from Lawndale would give me the time of day? Or why a drag queen from Andersonville would be interested in anything I have to say? And maybe that's true if we're just talking about Susan's hot takes on life. But when we are talking about the mighty works of God, that's not my story to keep. That's my story to tell. I have no business, no right in the world to keep that story to myself. It does not belong to me. My God, who is my God and my precious Savior, he's not mine alone. Everywhere my story intersects with God's story, that belongs to God and it belongs to all the peoples of the world. It's my job to speak up about what God has done for me, but it's God's job to infuse my breath, my words, with the wind and fire of his Holy Spirit as I do, because those are his people that he is calling forth from every tribe and nation and every tongue. And please note that the, each of the disciples spoke languages unknown to them as the Spirit gave them utterance. We don't select the language. The Holy Spirit translates the gospel whenever, wherever, and to whomever he chooses. We will not know in advance who will reject the gospel we proclaim and who will call upon the name of the Lord, repent, be baptized, and be saved. Because even when the Holy Spirit is on the move, our mileage will vary with telling the story of the mighty works of God. The gospel story is the most inclusive story ever told. God created every human being in his own image. It is not God's will that any should perish, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The invitation to take up your cross, turn from your sins, turn to the Lord for forgiveness and receive his love, that invitation goes out to everyone, bar none, whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, whatever you look like, whatever you sound like. And yet the gospel invitation elicits wildly different responses from people who hear. This miracle of Pentecost was accessible to everyone. Everyone knew something highly unusual was happening. Everyone heard uneducated Galileans speaking in languages they knew they had learned. This was the mystery that kind of gathered the multitude together, and everyone was bewildered by this. But some of the crowd decided to mock the disciples becoming, by coming up with explanations that were not only insulting, but just kind of silly. In verse 12, we have all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Exactly how drunk do you have to be before you can speak a second language? That's a pretty neat trick. Um, happily, the Apostle Peter was undeterred. About one-third of the book of Acts is comprised of sermons and speeches giving testimony to the goodness of God. And Peter chooses this 
seemingly inauspicious moment to deliver the first one. He can have no idea of how people will respond. Some people are just curious. Other people are clearly hostile. He moves right in and he shares what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the Lord, the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter announces that the gates of salvation and of full fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have now been flung wide open, and absolutely everyone is invited to enter. Not just sons and daughters of the house, those who are heirs and insiders, but the male servants and the female servants, those considered to be of little account. Peter confronts the multitude with their complicity in the death of Jesus, and he bears witness to the resurrection, testifying that the Lord has made known the paths of life to him, making him full of gladness in his presence. At the end of this speech, some of those who hear are cut to the heart, and they ask earnestly, what can we do? Peter explains exactly how to participate in the gospel story. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And 3,000 souls were added to our church that day. I don't think anything Peter could have said in his own strength um, could have persuaded these mockers to join the Christian church at the margins and become, many of them also became martyrs in the years to come. But he did speak the mighty words of God about the mighty works of God. And the same spirit who is pleased to fill up the Lord Jesus Christ and raise him from the dead was pleased to fill him, and he's pleased to fill us with his spirit as well. Brothers and sisters, if the Lord has met us with the grace of his presence here, if he has been here with us, we can be confident that he will meet us with the power of his Holy Spirit everywhere we are willing to share the gospel story. We have been given this treasure in these jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, that we may tell of the mighty works of God, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.